So at that point, what you do is just kind of like open the Bible and whatever it lands on, that's what you're doing. And so it landed in Revelation, and there are some worse things that could have landed on in there, like uh, first bold darkness and pain. But it it landed on Revelation 3:14 through 22, and that's all red letter. You don't see that much past the four Gospels. And so that was just kind of nice because that's what the Brethren Church really focuses on a lot. So if you would please rise for the reading of the scripture. And to the angel of the church, the Lacedonians write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, and beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, because, so then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel, to, counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Many, therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at my door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him, and he with me. To him and whoever comes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thank you, Audrey. That can be dangerous, by the way, the, the flip-in and things. When you do that, you want to make sure that you, you take the whole thing in context and not, you know, pick a couple words out and then flip it again and pick a couple words out. All right. I may have already said this story to you guys. But when I was um, younger, I had a friend in high school who told me about the first anniversary that he celebrated with his girlfriend at the time. One year anniversary, really big deal for high school kids, apparently. And she was really proud of this gift. She had gone and gotten one of those plates that you can get personalized and you paint it and they like fired it up through the fiery thing and it stays forever in this really beautiful, beautiful plate. She was really happy my friend not so happy with the gift and apparently his face showed that he really wasn't thrilled with the gift so she asked which probably shouldn't have done that either she asked little scott what what do you think of, of the gift and gotcha and it said something like scott and whatever her name is you know forever or whatever and had date they started dating or something like that and before his filter could start working and he could stop himself he said, well, it's not what I wanted. It wasn't too long after that that uh, the relationship was um, put. I don't know what he got her. He may have just gotten her socks or something. I don't know. Um, he really could have used some peppermint socks for all the times he put his foot in his mouth. Um, yeah, that was all Scott. All Scott. I got the same feeling when reading over this passage this week. Just... Jesus looking down at the church and saying, well, that's not what I wanted. 
And while Scott regretted the way he said it and probably the fact that he said it, although it's worked out well for him now, he's married and has wonderful children and all that fun stuff, Jesus is not regretting the fact that he's had to tell us. Like, this is not what I was looking for from the church. Um, now, when I was growing up and read this, I always just assumed hot meant good. And Jesus said, I want you to be hot. Hot meant good. Cold meant bad. So hot, I want you to be on fire for Jesus. And cold, I, want, I would rather you be completely against Jesus than kind of lukewarm, wishy-washy in the middle. Like, yeah, you come to church sometimes. So it's just kind of one of those things you do. It's just kind of take them or leave them. As you look at it, if you understand the historical context, that's actually not what Jesus is getting at here. Um, who likes hot drinks, by the way? Any hot drink fans? Coffee? Okay. I would think shooting up way higher than that. Um, I don't really do coffee, but hot cocoa in the winter? I'm a big fan of that. Uh, who likes cold drinks? Just uh, like ice-cold water? Or you go to a restaurant and get iced tea? Now, there are some people that are like, no, stay away from the cold. We do not want ice in our... Okay. They even, by the way, make ice coffee now. So I don't, I don't, that's kind of a oxymoron, I would think. Um, there are, again, people shaking their head and shame. Yeah. Um, but you can get both. Who goes to a restaurant and orders lukewarm? Anybody? Any lukewarm? Give me a lukewarm. No? no. We went shopping a couple of weeks ago in the middle of the summer, and uh, it was one of those hunting trips, right, where um, Naomi's looking for stuff, which is always dangerous. She was looking for clothes. We're going on vacation to South Carolina, and we don't have South Carolina quality clothes. We have, like, you need to keep yourself warm clothes. So we need to find, like, it's okay to sweat clothes. So she was looking. She was looking for these clothes. And I brought some water, some cold water and a nice service very happy about that and left it in the car and we were in the store a lot longer than my legs could handle it was one of those trips i go look at the guy stuff and come back and touch base and she's still in the same place i left her the first time i go back look more at the guy stuff come back she's still in the same like she's really regretting dave why to bring it here you always ruin these shopping trips for me um so i'm thirsty by the time we get back out she's made her purchases which is never You'd think as long as we spend in there, you'd be able to find stuff, but it's just hard to shop. It, it just is. Um, so we come out, and I try to, you know, I'm thirsty. I'm like, oh, like dying of thirst. So I get this water, and it had gone from cold to lukewarm. And I had to, like, choke it down. I was like, I'm a, oh, but I really. And Jesus does say that's how he feels about the church. Like, because you guys are lukewarm, I want to. But if you look historically, he's not saying hot is good, cold is bad, lukewarm is worse. That's not what he's saying. Um, and what we just read, it's the last of seven statements to seven different churches that are all in that area. Most of those churches receive some praise from Jesus and some like correction. Like you're doing really good on this area, really bad on this. Step your game up there and you'd be a great church. This letter um, got no praise. It was just all like you guys. This is not it's not what I wanted. Now, one of the churches actually got all praise. Good for them. We're not talking about that church. We're talking about this church, um, Laodicea. Again, Jesus looks at them and says, guys, that's not what I started. That's not what I want. 
So, what is he saying in this passage, according to historical context? Laodicea was a real place. It had real people, a real church. There was really a church there. You can still go and visit the remains of Laodicea, by the way, um, to save you guys flight money for that. You can actually just YouTube Laodicea, and you will have videos of people walking up and down the main street in there, and it has columns on the side, and you can see it's a real place. Um, it's right there on the map. Um, I'm actually going to come over here and point out. Um, so Colossae, we're going to talk about the higher alphabets. We're going to talk about um, Philadelphia, uh, a lot of those churches and churches that are included in the letter here in Revelations. Again, we're focused on Laodicea, and right above it, hidden behind the red balloon, is Hierapolis. And in Hierapolis, there were hot springs. And in those hot springs, you can still go to Hierapolis again, by the way. It's worth a Google, if not a flight. You can go to Hierapolis, and they have hot springs. People still go there. They soak in the water. Who doesn't love a natural hot tub? Am I right? Natural hot tub. It also has healing properties in this hot spring. So people still go, still take advantage of the healing properties. Um, so it's just really relaxing to sit in the hot tub. Um, and it's actually been rumored to treat skin diseases, rheumatism, and respiratory diseases. So if you're struggling with that, don't want to go to the walk-in clinic, buy a plane ticket, go to Hierapolis, soak in there for a little bit, and uh, I could take care of whatever's going on with your skin stuff. That is not the only natural water resource, though, in that area. Um, just a few miles south, you had Colossae. Colossae had cold water. It was a freshwater stream that provided cold and refreshing water. Again, Colossae was just a few miles from Laodicea. And while they didn't have any healing powers, who doesn't love a nice ice-cold drink on a warm day? A little ice-cold lemonade or soda, just even better, refreshing ice-cold water, just naturally just coming out of the ground about it. And sitting in the middle of those two places is Laodicea. And you'd think, well, Laodicea, there's a lot of really nice natural water resources right there. You probably have a nice one, too. Laodicea did not. They had no natural water, um, their water was transported via aqueduct from five miles away. Now, there was actually one resources, resource I read that said it was actually transported uh, 35 miles away to get to them. So whether it's 5, 35, it's not great. That was actually their biggest weakness. Uh, people could come and, like, siege the city and just cut off their water supply, and they'd be kaput um, just because you need water to survive. So that's them. Now there's some thinking that maybe, like water came down from Hierapolis, and the hot water and the cold water came from Colossae, and the hot and the cold mixed, and that's what gave them lukewarm water. Maybe it's just water had been transported from five or 35 miles away, and by the time it got there, it was lukewarm. Um, but either way, Laodicea had lukewarm water that wasn't good for anything. They basically used it to flush the sewage out under the city. Like, that's all they could really use it for. And it was dangerous. So that could actually induce vomiting. Again, I'm sorry for all the personal stories, but when we were first married, we lived in an apartment 
that had sulfur water. Anybody else experience sulfur water from a well? Um, we had a well, sulfur water, and I just could not. I just, uh, it, was, it was horrible for me. Maybe I'm just weak and grew up in Richmond where we had city water with all the different chemicals in there that made it smell really nice. I don't know, um, but it just, I couldn't. It smelled like rotten eggs, and like any time you try to drink it, like you, we tried to do the trick where you pour it in a big bottle and you just bottle it in the fridge, and that should dissipate some of the, it helped a little bit, but it was still, I could, I hadn't taken showers in it because I was like, I'm going to leave here smelling like rotten eggs. And my body wash. Um, now it was like that, but on steroids. Like it was just really, really bad. And so when Jesus said, I really wish you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you up. Like that meant something. And they understood what he was getting at. There. All right. Jesus wasn't telling the church he would prefer them to be on fire or completely cold to him. He was using two different useful water sources and telling them he wanted them to be like that. Be useful. Do something. Bring health to the hurting. Refresh the weary. Just don't be useful. Jesus didn't stop at telling them that their lukewarm actions made him want to throw up, though. He went on to talk about their self-sufficiency. Now, one of the ways that Laodicea is most like America is in their self-sufficiency and their wealth. Now, I know a lot of us maybe don't feel wealthy, but if you look at the state of the world and you compare what we have to what the world has, we are rich, like filthy rich. Just by living in America, you're in like the top 10% of the world's wealth. And if you make the average amount of money that Americans make, you're in like the top 5% of world's wealth. We are wealthy. They also or super duper wealthy. But they were famous for three specific things. They were a banking and financial center of the Roman world. Laodicea actually was one of the maps to provide Rome with coins. Um, at one point, they printed their own local coins just to be used um, for their area. And on it, they printed the frame, We did it ourselves. We did it ourselves. And they earned that phrase. A.D. 60, there was a severe earthquake that leveled the cities in that region. Rome offered assistance to rebuild Hierapolis and Laodicea. Unfortunately, Colossae um, Coloss was also destroyed, but they were too far off the beaten path for Rome to really care about them, so they got no offer, never rebuilt. Um, but they offered Laodicea and Hierapolis money to rebuild. Hierapolis took the money. Gladly. Laodicea said, no thanks. We, uh, we actually we can handle this. We're going to take care of this ourselves. And they did. They rebuilt their city, their destroyed city, with their own money. They also, uh, there was a law that if a Roman soldier knocked on your door, you had to provide that Roman soldier with a full meal on the spot. Like you didn't say, hey, I'm coming back tomorrow. Take time to, no, you had to be ready. As soon as the knock, you'd be ready to give a full meal to that soldier. Hierapolis, you didn't have the hot water springs, it was a hot vacation spot, everybody wanted to go there. So you had these people come, all these Roman soldiers on vacation, came and they hung out at Hierapolis and constantly knocking on doors, giving my food. They asked for help. They were like, can we get a break, maybe on a half a meal or 
on each or every other Roman soldier? Like, is there a way for us to, can you give us money again so that we have money to give uh, these soldiers to get their own food? Laodicea, again, right next door, never asked for assistance. They took pride in the fact that they could do it themselves. Another thing they were famous for was the manufacturing of clothing. Specifically, that region was known for a glossy black wool that they used to make black cloaks. So you can just imagine them in a pretty black robe. In Colossus, they actually had red wool. So I guess you could tell if you're from Colossus or if you're really located in Laodicea with the, the black. Um, they really go good together, by the way. Black and red makes beautiful horse teams, colors, go central. Um, they probably don't do black, though. I'm probably completely butchered that. I apologize. Um, so, they were also famous for a medical center um, that was famous for eye ointment. They actually used some of the mineral deposits from the hot springs of Hierapolis to make this eye salve. And uh, they became famous for exporting that. The eye salve was known to heal blindness. So this community that was so proud of their wealth, their independence, their money, their clothes, their medicine, Jesus tells them what they really look like. They were so blinded by their material wealth, they didn't know that when Jesus saw them, he saw a group of people that were poor, they were blind, and they were shamefully naked. You didn't realize it. Wealth is so dangerous. You know, it can blind all of us to our spiritual condition. It can lure us into believing that we can make it on our own. When reading that passage, a few parables of Jesus came to my mind. You remember the parable of the sower? The man goes out to sow seed. Some seed falls on a path. Some falls among rocks. Some among weeds. And some falls on good soil. You remember the seed that fell on the path? Immediately eaten up by the birds. The ones in the rock grew really quick. And you're like, man, they're on fire. But it didn't have a root. So it immediately died away. And the one that really applies to Laodicea, probably to us, was the one that fell among the thorns. It stands for people who hear the word. The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and make the seed unfruitful. The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth can blind us to the reality of our situation. It is so easy to get caught up in the worries. How am I going to make it? How am I going to make it? Have you seen the economy? Have you seen the numbers? Wow, if we don't get a new president in here to fix this, we're really going to be messed up. Wow, if we get the other president, it could be even worse than it is now. It is so easy to get caught up in that game. I was also reminded of the parable of the sheep and the goat. That parable is in Matthew 5, or Matthew 25, I apologize. It's uh, actually from our... Uh, morning meditation there were two groups of people and uh, the first group are the sheep and he says come get your reward for feeding me when i was hungry and visiting me when i was in prison and clothing me when i was in need and for the goats he says the opposite depart from me and go to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels because when jesus was hungry they didn't feed him and when he was thirsty they didn't give him a drink and when he was sick they didn't help him both groups had the same reaction when they heard the news. Jesus, when did we see you in need? When did we see you naked and not clothing? When did we see you hungry and not feed you? When did we see you 
And the sheep said, when did we see you hungry and feed you? We don't. I never recognized Jesus. I would have probably fed you more if I knew it was Jesus. Jesus said the same thing about Whenever you did or didn't do for the least of these, you did or didn't do for me. Sheep have fed the lifestyle of we're just going to give, right? And it's really hard, by the way, if you're caught up in uh, I'm going to make it, or raise this life, and deceitfulness of wealth. I need more, I need more, I need more. If I give you, do I have enough for me? So, no, I can't give you even though you're in need. I've got 25 coats and you only have a little if I give you, maybe I won't have enough. Maybe it'll be a really cold winter. What are the crops going to do if I give you food? I might not have enough. So easy to play like The Odyssey was ignorant of their condition. But are we aware of ours? Do we understand what's really going on? Then we have Jesus' remedy. So, so far we have a pretty bleak and depressing letter for this church in the Odyssey, yeah? But Jesus does not leave without offering hope. He tells them how they can fix their poor, their blind, and their naked state. First, he tells them to buy gold from them. In Isaiah 55, we read, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? I just want to ask you guys the same question. Why spend money on what is not bread? Why work for what doesn't satisfy you? There is nothing in this life that will satisfy you by giving it all up if you love Jesus. Nothing will satisfy you. But instead of taking pride in their own mates, they needed to find satisfaction in Jesus. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then joyfully gave up everything he had to buy that field. I recently heard, I'd always thought, I'm the man in the field, and the treasure is the kingdom of heaven, and i got to give up everything. And that's probably a good, you know, really good understanding of that, too. But they're surrounded by a bunch of other parables, and in every other parable, the man stands for God. So God found a treasure hidden in the field, if you stick with that same logic. God found a treasure hidden in the field, which would be us. And he gave up everything to purchase us back to the cross. And if God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross to purchase us back, if we were the treasure in the field, then flip why wouldn't we give up everything for that same treasure, that relationship with Jesus? He wasn't, by the way, saying, hey, you need to come buy your salvation. We can't buy our salvation. It's already been purchased, but we can accept what Jesus already purchased for. Jesus also tells them to buy white clothes to wear to cover their shameful wickedness. White clothes as opposed to the black cloaks that they took so much pride in. White also symbolizes purity and righteousness. But again, the point is that Jesus is the source, not themselves. And then finally, Jesus tells them to put salve on their eyes so that they can see. Again, this is a direct reference to the salve they took so much pride in. But the only salve that can really cure spiritual blindness comes from Jesus. And then finally, Jesus tells them that he's knocking at the door. 
Now this, again, may have been a reference to, again, the Roman soldiers that could just knock. And he didn't have a choice but to let the soldiers in and feed them. Jesus is giving a choice. I'm standing, I'm knocking. If he's here, you let me in. We're going to hang out. We're going to enjoy a nice meal. And the word for meal here, similar to the way we have breakfast, lunch, dinner, or supper. I'm, I'm still I'm just getting in some saucy stuff there. Some people disagree on that, right? Um, they had different words for their meals. And the word used here stood for the last meal of the day. There was nothing else to worry about. So they would take their time with this meal. And it was all about fellowship. But I know. It was about connecting. It wasn't like, hey, I'm just going to, you know, get through the drive through real quick and we're just going to scarf something down and be on our business. And it was like, hey, we're just going to, like, meet you. We're going to connect if you let me in. But I'm knocking, so it's up to you. Jesus could have walked it down the door. He has the right. Jesus, when he was resurrected, walked through walls. He could have done that too. But again, he's standing at the door, knocking. You're going to let him in. So what if we take it personal? As we move from thinking about Laodicea to thinking about our own lives, there are a few observations for us I want to take away from it. First of all, Jesus' comment was based on their deeds. It's so easy for us to give ourselves a pass because of our beliefs and our intentions. We believe the right things, so that should be good enough. Yeah, maybe I didn't do exactly what I wanted or I didn't act exactly how I wanted, but my intentions were good. I really wanted to do better, so that should count, right? We give ourselves that pass because we really wanted to be nice. Yeah, your face, right? Just the shape of your face when you answer people, they could tell you you didn't have a time of day for them. Um, Jesus' first comment was that he knew their deeds, that they were neither cold nor hot. If we were to judge ourselves by our actions and not just our beliefs, how would we break? When I first started here, uh, my buddy Josh Dasher had gone out to eat Chinese, and he brought back, it's one of my fa favorite um, from a cookie, the Chinese cookie, fortune, that word, you know, fortune cookie. And he came back and said, if the Good Samaritan only had good intentions, we wouldn't know that. It's like, man, that's pretty deep for a fortune cookie. But it's true. We give ourselves a pass. No, well, we met. We believe, right? Jesus is looking at our deeds. So how do we judge ourselves? How would we rate ourselves if we look at our deeds? Next, what do people think when they see you coming? Now, you might be thinking that's a trick question. How are you supposed to know what someone else is thinking? But I've got a few options for you to uh, answer that question. Judging just based on your deeds, just based on your actions, what would you think if you saw you coming? Now, if all the different, instead of turn your head to even think like that, I don't know what dimension that would be. That just hurts your head. Um, easier thing to do would be to ask people. What do you think when I walk on earth? And if they know that you're seriously like trying to get better and you really are curious and want to know, people typically will be honest with you. And that can be really infuriating too, and that makes you want to just... Ah. But again, this is, what does Jesus see when he sees our deeds? So it's getting better. 
What do people think when they see you? Do you bring healing to the hurting? The hot springs of Hierapolis brought healing to those who soaked in them. What benefit do you bring to those who spend time with you? Do you bring refreshment to the weary? The water in Colossae was refreshingly cool. Some people are already worn out. Do you bring them encouragement? Do you pick them up? Or do you make them kind of even more worn out? They're like, man, I just hang out with this guy. I need a nap. Like, I just need to take some time. Like, that was weird. Next, do you make Jesus want to vomit? Now, I don't want to sound crude, but these are the words of Jesus. Now, the NIV has updated it and said something like, I want to spit you out of my mouth or spew you. But according to what I saw, like, the word actually means vomit. Like, he wants to... It's really gross. But that's what the church made Jesus want to do. So was written to a church, guys. Like, it wasn't... A random group of people, like, man, these guys are just spend all the time at the bar. They just make me want to bark. It wasn't like, man, these guys are living in such sin that I just makes me sick. I just want to. This was a church. People that got together regularly to pray, to worship, and to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Jesus was down and he said, You guys make me want to throw up. So. Think about it. Do your actions towards other people. People that don't look like you, people that don't act like you, people that don't think like you or vote like you. It's really easy, by the way, to be like, yeah, I'm really good friends with my wife. Like, no, we get along really well. Like, yeah, we got a couple, my kids play softball with some people. I really like them. No. Like, Jesus died for everybody. All people are made in the image of God. So people you don't like. Judge yourselves based on that. The way you treat those people, the people who voted for the wrong guy, the way you treat them, does that make Jesus want to throw up? How fresh is your source? If you transported the hot waters of Hierapolis a few miles, they wouldn't be hot anymore. If you tried to bottle the cold waters of Colossae, they wouldn't stay cold for very long. It doesn't take much time until what was relaxing and healing or refreshing and cooling becomes tepid and disgusting and informed. If you try to take a sample of Jesus that you got three weeks ago into a world, it's not going to make a difference. It's not fresh enough. Pastor David isn't interacting with the people that you interact with in your job. And I'm not interacting with the people that you interact with in your life. God has placed you in the lives of these people for you to make a difference. But they need you to be as fresh a source as possible. Don't bring in six-month-old Jesus to these situations. It has to be fresh. Don't give them lukewarm Jesus. So our big question this morning is, is your faith making a difference in your work? Are people being drawn closer to Jesus because of your influence? Are people experiencing the love of Jesus because of the love you're showing them? We're getting a picture of a forgiving God because you are just so stinking forgiving when they wrong you. We are living in a hurting and broken world. The world needs some hot water or needs some cold water. So let's go bring some refreshment 
and healing for hurting and their healing. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you love us enough that you do tell us, God, if we're getting off track. God, I pray we would take this serious, that we would take you seriously, God. That we would look to you. We wouldn't judge our lives based on some made-up measurement, God. God, when we compare ourselves to you and the love you've showed us, are we showing that same love to the world? God, are we hot? Are we cold? Or are we lukewarm? God, be with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.